that psalm, Psalm 24, has been interpreted throughout the history of the church as prophetic of Christ's ascension. He is that one with a pure heart and clean hands who alone can ascend the Lord's holy hill to whom a whole race looks as the one in whom and by whom we also enter into God's presence. So Christ as that righteous one, Christ as that king of Psalm 24, he is the one to whom the everlasting doors of God's heavenly temple open as the king of glory comes in. It's interesting, Psalm 24, along with Daniel 7 that we read earlier, kind of give us um, heaven's perspective then of Christ's ascension. Now we read in Luke and in Acts of uh, the, the uh, narrative of that ascension uh, from earth's perspective. And so we'll read first from Luke chapter 24. I think it's on page 1052 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, Luke 24, we'll read verses 44 through 53. And then we'll read also from the book of Acts. This is after the beginning of the chapter has described Jesus Resurrection, and then the, uh, the way in which he unfolds the scriptures on the way from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And now it says, beginning at verse 44 of Jesus. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So the Gospel according to Luke is, um, you could say, volume one of, of Luke's two volume work of Luke and Acts, and so we'll read now from volume two, where Luke again notes the importance of the ascension of Jesus Christ, Acts chapter one, we'll read verses one through 11, it's on page 1080 in the Pew Bibles. Luke says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. We will read that in connection with Lord's Days 18 and 19 of the Heidelberg Catechism, pages 879 and 880. In the back of your hymnals, we'll read um, question 46 and 49. And then from Lord's Day 19, we'll consider the first part of that, 50 and 51, and then save 52 for next week. Read this responsively, question 46. What do you mean by saying he ascended to heaven? That Christ, while his disciples watched, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Then questions 47 and 48 speak of of the way that Christ, um, by his Divinity and spirit is with us always, uh, but his, his flesh is, is ascended in heaven. Christ's real body is in heaven. And it asks in 49, how does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends his spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. And why the next words and sits at the right hand of God. Christ ascends to heaven, there to show that he is head of his church, the one through whom the Father governs all things. But how does this glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, through his Holy Spirit, he pours out gifts from heaven upon us, his members, Second, by his power, he defends us and preserves us from all enemies. It's interesting how the the catechism gives us uh, basically six questions that deal with the ascension of Christ into heaven, whereas last week, for instance, uh, we had just one on the resurrection. And so apparently, the the ascension is, is no small thing. You would hardly know that from looking at the importance the ascension is given in the modern church or um, the, the attendance at an ascension day service. But historically, 
This event that we just read of from Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1 has, has been viewed as the completion or culmination of Christ's earthly ministry. And so it is no mere exclamation point or addendum to the resurrection, but it is a redemptively significant event in its own right. And you see that same thing from the way that Luke emphasizes the importance of the ascension in making it the, the hinge between his two volumes, Luke and Acts. Maybe you've watched the show before where um, the, the next week as a new episode comes on, it, it says something like uh, last week on, whatever the, the show is called, and it, it gives you the, the significant events from, from the week before. And it highlights the most significant things that took place that you need to remember. Now, Luke does something like that as he starts volume two in, in the same place where he ended volume one with the ascension of Jesus. In fact, it's, it's more than just telling us, um, this, this is really important, don't forget this happened. But he's also making the point that, that this event, the ascension of Jesus, this event is the, the link between Christ's earthly ministry among us, which we read of in the Gospels, and his continued ministry from heaven. One of the most important lines in the book of Acts is Acts 1, verse 1, where it, it says, um, Theophilus, but back in, in volume 1, I, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up in his ascension, implying that, that what Luke is about to write of is what Jesus continued to do and teach after his ascension. And so rather than, than uh, the Acts of the Apostles, a, for, a more uh, fitting name for the book might be the Acts of the Ascended Lord Jesus. Uh, that, that seems to be the point that Luke is making in his opening verse. And so the Ascension is the connector between what Christ accomplished in his earthly ministry and what he continues to do in his incarnate heavenly ministry. So as we often think about Christ's um, earthly ministry or Christ's redemptive uh, work on earth along the lines of those three offices of, of prophet, priest, and king. I want to take that same approach this afternoon and see how Luke in these two passages that we just read shows us um, the priestly work of the ascended Christ, the royal work of the ascended Christ, and the prophetic work of the ascended Christ. Look with me uh, first at the ending of the book of Luke where we see Jesus as the ascended priest. Luke makes this point in the way that he emphasizes Christ uh, while he ascends, blessing his disciples. In fact, you notice he says it twice. Um, after introducing it with, with that um, introductory phrase in verse 50 about the lifting up of his hands. That's so what Luke is doing. is he, He's alluding back to the Old Testament, to Leviticus chapter 9, where the high priest Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. Jesus is doing that same thing that the priest in Leviticus 9 would do as he ascends into his holy temple, his heavenly temple. What Jesus is doing is he's signaling to us that he is the priest. In fact, it's, it's interesting um, the way that the, the book began back in Luke chapter 1, was with another priest, Zechariah, who was chosen by Lot to go into the temple and burn incense, the incense offering. 
And yet while he was in there, he became mute and and therefore was unable to pronounce the blessing that would ordinarily have accompanied the incense offering. And so the book begins with the unfinished liturgy of a priest who could not offer the blessing. Now it ends with Jesus taking the place of that priest and finishing what Zechariah couldn't. Christ is the priest who pronounces heaven's blessing on his people, who does what what those old covenant priests could not truly do. Zechariah being somewhat uh, symbolic of, of the whole old covenant order and the incompleteness of the ministry of those priests. But Christ comes and he finishes what they could not. He is the fulfillment of the priestly office. He's the fulfillment of all that the priests did. They offered sacrifices on behalf of the people, so Christ offers himself. They would bless the people after that sacrifice to show the the peace and forgiveness that the sacrifice provided, so Christ, after that sacrificial offering of his own body, offers a blessing to his people to signal the finality of his sacrifice, the completeness of what it's accomplished. Back in Leviticus um, chapter 9, when Aaron would, would offer the, the blessing in verses 22 and 23, the response of the people, Leviticus 9.24, was that they would fall on their faces. And as we read in Luke 24, the response is a bit different. It, it says in verse 52 that after Jesus offers this blessing, they worship and return to Jerusalem with great joy. So there's a difference between the way that the Old Testament believers and the disciples receive the priestly benediction because Christ's is the fulfillment of it. To quote one theologian, Kelly Capick, whereas Aaron could lift his hands and pray for God's face to shine upon his people, in Jesus ascending into the heavens, these believers saw the actual face of God shining upon them. While they had heard in that benediction from Numbers chapter 6 of God's graciousness, now they have seen him who is gracious. While they had held out for God's lifted countenance upon them, now they saw it actualized. While they had longed for the the peace promised in the benediction, now they knew him who is peace. The great high priest came and not only pronounced the benediction, but he became the benediction. Here, the medium is the mediator, and and thus he is not to be looked beyond, but rather looked to. Those who saw the ascension of Jesus witnessed the personification of Aaron's benediction in Jesus Christ. He fulfills all that the priests sought to do. He offers his own body as a sacrifice. He blesses the people. He prays for them. And he wants to signal to them on his way into that heavenly temple that his priestly work on their behalf has not ceased. But has only just begun. There he will go into that that true heavenly temple to mediate our worship. There he will pray for us, interceding at the Father's right hand. There he will communicate his blessing to us by his Spirit. And there he will plead his nail-pierced hands before the Father. So that when we have sinned for the hundredth time and our sin demands God's justice, he might step into the presence of the Father and say, don't be angry with them. You have already directed that wrath at me. Their sins are pardoned. 
which his outstretched hands here in Luke chapter 24 become the assurance of. Even as the priest, after the sacrifice, would lift his hands in blessing to assure the people that God's smile was upon them, that the the light of his countenance shined upon them, and not his anger, not his wrath, not his frown. So Jesus, after uh, making that sacrifice on the cross in Luke 23, lifts his hands to give his people the assurance that the Father's smile is upon them. Something like the rainbow in Genesis chapter 9, a picture and assurance and sign of his grace toward us and his faithfulness to what he has said he will do. Christ continues to minister for us as priests, even from heaven. Question 49, he is our advocate in the presence of of the Father. That's speaking of his priestly ministry, interceding for us, praying for us, pleading the merits of his blood for us, and communicating God's blessing to us. As you think about the question, what is, what is Christ doing right now? He's praying for us. Theologian Patrick Schreiner says, Christ is not embarrassed by his people, but he proudly represents us as the God-man before the Father. Just like the priests of old, he wears you as jewels on his breastplate. He is your advocate when you sin. Although his sacrifice has already been made and there are no more sacrifices in heaven, it is nevertheless the place of continual, perpetual, sacrificial presentation where he presents before God the sacrifice once offered. He is in the holy of holies and is pleading his perfect sacrifice. And again, just as the priest would offer the blessing, saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Christ becomes that blessing and reminds us of it every week as he mediates our worship and sends us out with that priestly benediction. Christ is still ministering from heaven as our priest. And yet he's not only ministering as our priest, but also as our king. Luke ends his, his first volume emphasizing the priestly ministry of Christ from heaven. But as he starts his second volume in Acts chapter 1, he emphasizes Christ's royal office, that the ascended priest is also the ascended king. Remember that passage that we read in the call to worship from Daniel chapter 7 where it says that Daniel saw in the night visions one like a son of man who who came on the clouds of heaven into the presence of God, the ancient of days, and was given by his father dominion and glory and a kingdom so that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And it says his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one that shall not be destroyed. So think about that prophecy as as we now read again of Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. It says, when he, that is uh, Jesus, had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up that a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and says, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, 
will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So four times the text emphasizes that he's going into heaven. It explicitly tells us that he does so on a cloud. And the one who is the the subject of this event also happens to be the one who is called the Son of Man. In fact, I think more than any other title that's given to him in the Gospels, Son of Man is the one most frequently used. So Daniel chapter 7 prophesied that one like a Son of Man would would, um, enter up into heaven on the clouds. And in Acts chapter 1, we read that very thing happening. This is the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man is given a kingdom. Perhaps that's why in Acts 1 verse 3 it says that he spent those 40 days between his resurrection and ascension speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Or you see that emphasis on the kingdom in uh, 1 verse 6 where where the disciples um, ask, is this now the time you're going to restore the kingdom? There is an emphasis in this opening chapter in, in the book of Acts on the kingdom. There is an emphasis in the Old Testament background of Acts chapter 1 on the kingdom. The point of Acts chapter 1 verses 9 to 11 is that Jesus is given that kingdom, that everlasting kingdom of Daniel chapter 7. He is given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him and his dominion will be an everlasting dominion. The one that we read of earlier from Psalm 89 that was promised to David in 2 Samuel 7, that kingdom which would have no end. And so now as we ask again, what is Christ doing right now in heaven? It's not only that he is interceding and praying for us as our advocate, but he is also ruling and reigning over us and over the world. Question 50, he is the one through whom the Father governs all things. Question 51, by his power, he defends and preserves us, his church, from all enemies. This is what our ascended king is doing. He is exercising that dominion of Daniel chapter 7 by ruling over the church, by governing the world, and by conquering his enemies. Westminster Larger Catechism gives a nice summary of this in question 45 when it asks, how does Christ execute his office as king? And it says he does this by calling um, out of the world the people to himself and giving them officers, laws, and censures, meaning um, church officers, church discipline, and church order, by which he visibly governs them. He bestows saving grace upon his elect, rewarding their obedience and correcting them for their sins. He preserves and supports them under all their temptations and sufferings, restrains and overcomes all their enemies, and powerfully orders all things for his glory and for their good, and also takes vengeance on the rest who know not God and obey not the gospel. That's what Christ, our ascended king, is doing and will do. The ascension is his coronation as king of the universe. And as king, he gathers, protects, and preserves his church. He rules over her by his word and spirit and guards and defends her against all his enemies and all her enemies until one day they'll be placed under his feet. Do you have an appreciation for the the, the work of our ascended king? 
Do you show that appreciation by valuing and praying for the officers of the church and of the world by whom he rules? Do you show your appreciation for Christ's work as king by submitting to the government and discipline of the church? Do you show your appreciation for Christ's work as king, even as we've been learning from the Psalms, by praying to him for justice, interceding for those members of his kingdom, of the same kingdom of which we are a part, who are harassed and helpless? Praying to the one who will bring vengeance. The ascension helps us to to appreciate Christ's continued work, not only as priest, but also as king. And lastly, in both the ending of Luke and also the beginning of Acts, we we see uh, these these little hints also of Christ's ascended ministry as our prophet. Notice if you go back over to the ending of Luke, that beginning at verse 44, Christ is, is expositing for his disciples how everything written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms was concerning him. And he speaks in verse 46 of, of, of how the Christ must suffer and then rise from the dead. He speaks of the suffering and then glory of the king, even as we heard this morning in Psalm 6. And then it says in verse 47 that repentance and the forgiveness of sins by, by virtue of his suffering and glory will be proclaimed to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And he says in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. In other words, they are going to be the witnesses who proclaim this Christ from all the scriptures. And the book of Acts then is going to give us several examples of of just what that looks like, of of showing how Christ is the fulfillment of of all the things written in the Psalms, of the prophets. You read a book like Hebrews, it it gives us further examples of that, of the Gospel of Matthew. Notice verse 49 It is the the, the promised Holy Spirit given by the ascended Christ who will empower them to do this. He says, I want you to go and be my witnesses that the Christ suffered and that he rose from the dead and that he is the fulfillment of all the things written from the scriptures. But first, go and wait. Wait in Jerusalem until the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, comes upon you and empowers you to be my witnesses. We see that the exact same thing in the beginning of Acts. We're in Acts 1, verse 8. Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. But if you look at the, the very beginning of that verse, 1, verse 8, it says that this will only happen when the Holy Spirit has come upon them. The Spirit of Christ, whom he will send from heaven. And so it's Christ, by his Spirit, who is witnessing through his people to what he's done and how all the scriptures point to him. Again, this is why Acts 1 verse 1 says that the gospel of Luke was only the account of what Jesus began to do and teach, and the book of Acts then and the rest of church history until Christ comes again is the account of what he continues to do and teach. From heaven by his Spirit, through those who are set apart by the church to preach and teach. This is how Christ exercises his prophetic office from heaven. Question 51. Through his Spirit, he pours out gifts from heaven upon his members. 
And then one of the passages that our catechism cites there, or footnotes, is Ephesians chapter 4, where um, the specific gifts which he pours out in Ephesians 4 are all word-centered. It says, when he ascended, he gave gifts to men, namely apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And then in the next verse, it says that they are given for the purpose of perfecting the saints, of doing the work of the ministry, and of building up the body. All word-centered gifts from our ascended prophet who pours out gifts on his church so that by his spirit, he might continue to speak through those men to his people. Of course, Christ also pours out gifts on all of us so that every one of us shares in his prophetic office being anointed to confess his name. But there is a special way in which Christ, our ascended prophet, speaks to his people through the preaching of the word. Such that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17 and Romans ten fourteen are able to speak of, of the preaching act as Christ himself speaking to his people. In Ephesians 2, there is this interesting verse, verse 17, where Paul says to these, these uh, Gentiles to whom he's writing, Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off. Of course, Christ never came to Ephesus. But Paul is making the point that Christ does every time the word is faithfully preached. Or Romans 10, when when Paul says, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Romans 10, 14, if, if you look at that in the Greek or even if you look at the footnote in your ESV, that word of is not there. Literally, Paul says, how are they to believe him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? According to Paul, the the way that the people will hear the voice of Christ is through his ambassadors being sent to preach, through faithful preachers. Christ continues his prophetic teaching ministry every time one of his ambassadors gets up to faithfully exposit the word. And what that means then is that when we decide that we, we don't want to go to worship, decide maybe uh, it's not that important that I, I go to the afternoon service, or maybe we come physically but we check out mentally, not really caring what the preacher is saying, that, that what we're doing in each of these cases is we are disparaging the prophetic ministry of the ascended Christ. Christ from heaven is speaking to his people and we're saying, I don't really care to hear it. Or when we stand over the word instead of under it, coming not with our our fork and spoon to to feast on the gospel, but only our knife to dissect it, we are disparaging or despising the prophetic ministry of Christ. Westminster Larger Catechism, question 160, says that when we come to hear the word preached, we are to receive it with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. That is the, the, the posture toward the pulpit that reflects an appreciation for the ascension of Jesus Christ. Christ is not honored and glorified by a critical spirit. Christ is not honored and glorified when fathers who are tasked with washing their wives and children with the water of the word undermine the work of that word by disparaging the preaching. 
Yes, ministers will give an account before God for what they preach, but so will every person give an account before God for how they listen. Husbands and fathers will give an account before God for the way that they encourage their families to to respond to that word, to prepare for that word. The way that we do this says something about our, our response to and our appreciation of our ascended prophet, priest, and king. Do you value the preaching of the word? Do you pray for those who bring it? Do you attend to it with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind? Christ is our ascended prophet. Christ is our ascended priest. And Christ is our ascended king who pours out his spirit and gives gifts to his church who guards and defends her in love, ruling by his word and spirit, and continually intercedes for us before his Father, praying even that that prophetic word which goes forth would be, would be blessed. And so as we think about all of the different applications of this doctrine of the ascension, and there are many, at least a few of them, are that we are to value the preaching of the word. We are to value the written word which the ascended Christ from heaven sends his spirit to inspire the the apostles and prophets who, who, who went after him to transcribe that word. We're to be thankful for the office bearers by whom Christ rules his church submitting to her government and discipline. We're to be thankful for Christ's priestly work, being assured by his uplifted hands that he ministers for our good and speaks to us peace. That he intercedes at the Father's right hand, assuring us when we have erred that our sins are pardoned. He was praying for us. The ascension is vital for our understanding of, of how we're to live the Christian life. Always mindful of our ascended prophet, priest, and king, and keeping our eyes fixed on him, not on earthly things, question 49, but things above where Christ is sitting at God's right hand, and where we one day will be as he has taken our flesh into heaven. So rejoice in the gospel of our ascended prophet, priest, and king. See it not as as a mere afterthought, but rather the culmination of Christ's redemptive work. Even the continuation of of his redemptive work during his ministry on earth and now his, his work through the church from heaven by his spirit. And give thanks. Like the disciples in Luke 24, worshiping with great joy. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you that the priestly work of Christ who died on the cross was continued, confirmed, and applied in him rising up and descending to bless us with uplifted hands, to go into your presence where he intercedes for us and assures us of your grace and mercy towards us. We thank you for his continued work as king, governing all things, and especially his church, whom he preserves and defends from all enemies, whether within or without. We pray that you would help us to value his, his kingly rule by appreciating the order that he gives to his church. 
the officers whom he places over her, and even the discipline that he sometimes lovingly gives. We pray also that you would help us to appreciate Christ's ascended work as our prophet who speaks to us your word and shows us how all of it points to him. We pray that we would show um, appreciation for that word by diligently attending to the means of grace with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind. We might be more and more equipped to live in light of Christ's ascension, seeking not earthly things, but things above. We pray this in the name of our ascended prophet, priest, and king.